Hey everyone, it's Hannah Bayshuck with Shit You Should Probably Know, the podcast where we actually talk about the shit you're too embarrassed to admit you don't actually know. So today I have Lauren Collins. She's an RN with over 10 years of experience in the NICU and more than seven years working privately with families partnering with them as they begin their journey in parenthood. She opened her own private consulting um, company about five years ago, offering night help. Um, She has 25 nurses throughout the state of Georgia, and she was a big help for me when I welcomed my baby into this world. And we talked about, you know, sleep training to other needs and care for myself and for the baby. So I'm so excited to have you, Lauren, and talk to you about the newborn experience. Yes. Thanks for having me. I think this is a kind of a hard conversation because the newborn experience is so unique to everybody's own experience and their own journey. Like I have two sisters and their experiences were different than mine. Leo, my son, came a month early, which definitely changed what I endured compared to them. But I think one common denominator is just that it's so shockingly new. I always say it's the best disruption. So anyone listening to this looking for answers for newborns and motherhood, like it is a beautiful journey. But I was talking to a friend recently and I said, I was like, you know, usually they say like you walk before you run. I feel like having a baby is a full sprint marathon and then you learn to walk. Like it is just, you're thrown into the trenches and then it starts to get easier and better. Um, It's crazy. And you predominantly work with women who are in the trenches and are thrown into the extreme. You and I were just having a conversation before this started And it looks very different than when we first started to communicate. I'm in a much healthier, mentally healthy, physically healthy place. So I guess my first question would just be, how is it navigate? Like, what is, what do you see the hardest thing navigating new motherhood and that transition from being an independent person to all of a sudden, or having an independent life with your husband or partner or whoever, and then bringing this new thing into your world. Um, Hannah, thanks for having me. Um, I love I love my job. I love what I do. I love talking about babies and all of this transition. Um, when I work privately with um, families, the biggest thing, the biggest shock is I tell them, I say, it doesn't matter if your friend down the street is telling you or your sister or your sister-in-law, you absolutely have no idea the amount of exhaustion that is coming to you. Um And then I tell them, you really sometimes don't even see it until you're in that trench and you just wait, you're, you're, it's five o'clock one day and you haven't used the bathroom, you haven't eaten anything. That's when you realize it. And that happens to everybody. Um, A lot of time uh, moms come to me and they're just, just the anxiety is through the roof. And it's it's primarily because they are not taking care of themselves. And when you approach that, they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? I have this little human that I'm supposed to be taking care of. That's the big, that's the hardest thing is just trying to, um, to juggle that. I tell moms, if you can, when it comes to taking care of your body and your sleep, if, if you have help, that is huge. Not everybody does have help, but if you have help, give, give your helpers jobs to do that will allow you to rest. Um, partners, husbands, the biggest thing they can do is take care of mom, especially if mom's breastfeeding, because a lot of times those, those partners or their dads are sitting there if mom's breastfeeding and they're going, well, what do I do? There's nothing really left for me to do. The baby doesn't want me, but that's why their job is primarily to take care of mom. Um, daytime, 
it is so hard for moms to do it. It's hard for uh, type A moms to do this. But when your baby lays down to take a nap, 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 lay down in your bed, separate yourself and let your body recuperate, get a little bit of relaxation, um, make sure the calories are really high. You need to really increase your calories, especially if you're breastfeeding and drinking tons of fluids. A lot of moms just kind of leave that out so unintentionally, but it is left out and it, it does, it can, it can really affect your body. It's so intense. Like even hearing you say all of this, I think back and I'm like, God, like, and I think the harder part is, is when I talk to someone who's starting this journey or about to give birth, I don't want to scare them. I'm like, it's, it's, a, it's great. It is nice, but it really is such an intense first experience of having a baby. And I mean, I read a statistic that said 43% of new moms got five to six hours of sleep and 23% got three to four hours of sleep. And I actually kind of thought that was surprising. I feel like three to four is more the common or the norm. I guess that means in spurts. So let's talk about like legitimate, like norms. When you have a newborn from let's say zero to one month or zero to two months, how, how much are they sleeping throughout the day? Or night. Those first few weeks, your baby should really be sleeping the majority of the time. Um, so much so that if a mom is trying to breastfeed, usually the number one issue with breastfeeding is the baby just wants to fall asleep on the breast. Um, that's why it, if we're not sleeping well, I kind of go at it as an investigative journey. If we're not sleeping well that early on, it's either we have a nutrition problem or we have a sleep problem. And that early on, if there's a sleep problem, maybe we're not setting up the baby for sleep success. Um, I really, when we talk about nighttime sleep, I really kind of go off of weight. Babies eight to 10 pounds, they're probably going to still eat two times in the middle of the night. But the goal at nighttime is we feed and they go straight back to sleep. It's a little bit different in the daytime. In the daytime, we are going to try to give that baby just a little bit of awake time. It allows them to burn a little bit of energy off because they will they will accumulate energy throughout the day. That's why we have such difficult afternoons and fussy babies early evening because they've just got all this energy built up and they're not crawling, they're not scooting, they're not running around, they're not doing anything to burn it off. And the only way they can burn off energy is by giving them a little bit of tummy time to work through or um, just some time to, to just... And I'm not, I don't mean just let your baby sit there cry a three-week-old for 10 or 15 minutes. But sometimes a two-minute cry, it's almost like you can, you can watch the baby get it out and then their body just relaxes. Right. I remember my sleep schedule for my baby, for Leo, when he was first born. I remember hearing kind of like mixed reviews. And one of them was to let him be up for 90 minutes and then sleep for 90 minutes. And I realized that was very wrong. Um, and he was getting overly tired throughout the day and then he was getting super fussy, but then it was really tough cause he wouldn't take a 90 minute nap. So it was really hard to like manage that, I guess, like for you, how do you help encourage sleep? I mean, they have no schedule, so it's really crazy. And are they sleeping in a crib? Like, what are your expectations of where are they sleeping? Well, first Hannah, let me throw out that, you know, a baby, even an eight month old or an eight week old and a two year old. All of these children, we cannot depend on them to be consistent. 
They can't. Who can be consistent in the equation is the parent. Um, Does that mean it's going to be seamless every single time? No, but we know that babies learn by routine. So if we can provide a somewhat consistent environment for that sleep. So if the mom chooses to have the baby in the bassinet, that's fine. Um, I tell moms a lot of times, if, if that is what makes you comfortable and it works for you in the nighttime, great, do it. But in the daytime, if you have a baby's nursery down the hall, let the baby nap in the nursery. You probably most likely have a, a monitor that you can keep your eye on your baby. That's fine. Um, but the cool thing about that is that baby, for the most part, if we're tightly swaddled and we have a sound machine going, that baby does not know whether it is in the bassinet in your room or in its crib for a nap because you, it's probably still a dark area. So there's a consistent environment. Um, so we know, like I said, that they, they learn by routine. So if you are consistently putting them in that environment, they're going to get used to it. They're going to recognize like, oh, I'm swaddled. I hear this noise. I'm going to sleep regardless of where you've put me in this dark space. Mom's room, my room. The other thing it does is it actually is going to build the mom's confidence. So mom will slowly become confident and, oh, wow, he can sleep in his nursery and he's doing great with it. So at three months or four months or whatever time you feel comfortable putting your baby in his room at night, you're going to be way more comfortable. Is it just going to be the easiest thing you've done? No, there's still probably going to be some hesitation, but you're also going to be like, he does find her in the day in here. He's going to be fine at night. So those are, so I love doing crib naps in their room during the day. Um, with scheduling, you know, when you said the 90 minute, 90 minute, and that didn't work that great. It may be that at that time we were asking him to stay up a little too late, you know, at around a 12 week mark, they probably can handle around 90 minutes of awake time. A six-week-old is not going to be able to handle that consistently. They might throw in this awake period of an hour and a half, but that's not typical, and we can't ask them to do that throughout the day. Um, And, you know, there are some babies that are just going to struggle with naps, and, you know, their brains are still immature. And if we have done everything we can, we've tweaked this, we've tweaked that, we've made sure we're setting them up for sleep success, and we still have short naps, it might just be something that's short-lived. And as he matures and gets to that five-month mark and his brain will mature more, he can connect those sleep cycles. Unfortunately, when a mom tells me my baby wakes up at 45 minutes into every nap, I part of me hates to say it, but the other part of me is glad to say it. I'm like, you have a normal baby. Congratulations. You know, that is a normal thing that happens but the other thing that I did, Leo do that? I can't really remember. Yeah, he eventually connected the dots, but he would definitely stop after 20 minutes. And I think one of the hard things, too, is when you're a new mom and you've done like maybe 10 minutes of research, which was me. My research was just word of mouth with my sisters and my friends. And I guess for me, I was so nervous that I was going to have a quote unquote colicky baby. And then you have a baby that cries because. Every baby cries, and that's a normal reaction for a baby. I was like, oh, do I have a colicky baby? You know, or I'd have a bad week where he was constipated. And I was like, oh, Leo's colicky. And it's like, when do you know when you have a colicky baby or you just have a baby that cries? 
Well, I kind of associate more of colicky slash gassy slash reflux. Every baby that comes out is going to have some level of reflux. They will spit up. Their tummies are so small. Um, all of the tubes that connect from their mouth down to their stomach are, are still immature. That Their digestive system is immature. It doesn't take a lot to jostle them and make them have even like a wet burp that I call like if they spit up when you go to burp them. All of that is normal. Um, what pushes over the edge is if you have, you know, if, you know, we worked through some things with Leo where with well, a constipation that was, yes, he struggled with it, but most of the times the brat, the bad times, it was isolated. Something I did not know going into motherhood was this gut health stuff. I mean, I had no idea. And again, he came a month early, so his gut wasn't fully developed. And so we had to be a little bit more patient, but things that I learned that were really helpful were gripe water, were colic calm, um, and then eventually a probiotic, which some people are for, some people aren't. I know it really helped us, but we were, I mean, I, w- I do not wish constipation on anybody's baby. That was awful, but I didn't realize his gut health. And it's so funny as adults, isn't it true that our gut health is so tied to the rest of our health, but it's just not, we're able to mask it and bandaid it. When you have a baby, like he's like, I don't need a bandaid. I want the root cause fixed. And his gut digestion, we really had to like dig deep. And we ended up finding out that he had milk protein intolerance, but that was a lot. I also remember speaking of spitting up, going to the I went to the pediatrician to talk to her about how much he was spitting up. And it ended up, he just had, well, he ended up having milk protein intolerance, but like babies spit up and like, it's jarring. I remember sending you a photo being like, is this normal? And you were like, yeah. And I think you, cause you associate spit up. The only time you've seen spit up is on another adult or a teenager. You've never seen this like large amount of spit up. And then some babies just spit up more. Right. And, and we've, um, you know, as long as I've been doing this privately with families, I've seen a, a shift to where, well, even even with, you know, I have a 14-year-old, that's my oldest. Even when I had her, I could have walked into any pediatrician's office and been like, my baby's fussy every now and then. And I guarantee you, they probably would have handed me a prescription for a reflux medication. It The pendulum has swung in the other direction. And now pediatricians are incredibly hesitant to write it. Usually they will give it if it if the baby's weight is being affected by the amount of vomiting or the lack of being able to, in, to take in what they need to take in calorie-wise. Um, but there are times, Hannah, that, you know, when you said, how do you know the difference between colic or not? I mean, there are some babies that will throw up copious amounts of formula and they are the happiest little boogers on the planet. I think another thing when we talk about nutrients and feeding your baby, I still have PTSD from feeding anxiety. Like Leo was born at five pounds and I had a lot of insecurity about that because he came a month early and then his birth weight was like supposed to be six pounds, eight ounces, which is still not on the high, it's on the lower side. And so it wasn't about him being smaller and catching up. It was more when my other friend's babies were able to do things and hit milestones. We weren't there because he wasn't at the weight. When people were able to push their babies to sleep through the night or just, you know, give them a little lecture, you can do it, you got it. Like we weren't allowed that because we were feed, feed, feed. And I think 
feeding anxiety is a big thing. So what would you say to new moms walking into like motherhood with like, just knowing like feeding anxiety is a thing. And if your baby doesn't take the whole bottle and then I have moms whose babies took too much. So what would your, your advice be on like newborns eating? You know, a lot of my babies that, that do start out really small, if they have come from the NICU, um, those mamas tend, uh, especially even if, even if it's been, you know, just a week, just a few days. And of course, if it's been eight weeks or, you know, 16 weeks, those moms, and this is what I'm, I love being able to work with these moms because I do take, take from my NICU experience, but those mamas have a hard time of adjusting to life at home. You know, I have to constantly remind them, I know that you were feeding your baby 48 cc's in the NICU, but we don't have to concentrate that so much on this. Let's give ourselves a little bit of grace. They sent you home from the NICU. We're not in a NICU world anymore. So that's the first thing that we have to address. Um, if you have a baby and they don't go to the NICU, understand that it is normal. It, they are going to lose weight, especially if it's a breastfed baby. Um, with a formula-fed baby, you can you can count those calories. You can count the intake. You can measure the outta- output. And a formula baby will still lose weight, but not to the extent of a breastfed baby because a breastfed baby is just not taking in as much volume in the beginning. So babies will lose 5 to 10% of their weight. Um, typically, you they'll hit back to birth weight around between day 11 and 14. The way that we look at age, I think when you have a newborn, it's all so much based on weight. And so I felt this jealousy of other people who had like room to, you know, if their baby didn't have a good bottle or have a good feed, you win some, you lose some. I didn't feel like we we didn't have a win some or lose some. We could only win. Winning was the required result or outcome that needed to happen. And I think that's where a lot of my anxiety and stress led to. And then also we didn't know he had the allergy. And then, you know, you start getting scared about bottle aversion and like the baby's having a poor experience with eating because they're gassy and like, then you go down a dark hole. So I'm just sharing my experience because that hole didn't last long and, but it felt like an eternity in it. And I think it's, it's really hard when, you have, I mean, you were a NICU nurse, like you saw it, like, and like you said, it's hard to get out of that mindset. I even still have like a little PTSD of the feeding anxiety that I had. Like I sometimes still will catch myself and now he's definitely caught up. I mean, I always, I try to remind my other mother friends who are, you know, experiencing the NICU or in a current situation where they're having a little bit of anxiety about something. And I'm like, it does get better. Like I said, I'm the sprint before the walk. I'm like, you actually get the cool down. And I feel like where we are, but I do look back and I'm like, that was a shit show, man. Like that was crazy. Yeah. And there were plenty of times where we talked and it, 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 and it, it wasn't a, you know, one bad feeding was not going to undo anything. Um, even though you, you felt that it, it wasn't, you know, and I tried to, you know, convey that to you that, hey, listen, they sent you home. He's healthy. His weight gain is going to happen. It's just going to be, instead of it being like this, it's going to be a little bit more, you know, we're still going to be going in the right direction. It's just not going to be as fast. 
Um, and like you said, that the weight gain, it does depict. We couldn't, we, I never say drop feedings in the middle of the night because obviously what will start to happen is the baby will take in all the calories during the day so they can sleep at night. And I tried my best to never say we're going to drop a feeding because somebody um, like you just described who may have some little anxiety about feeding, I don't want to ever say we're going to drop a feeding. What you really do is you consolidate the nighttime feedings. But we had to wait to do that with Leo until it was appropriate. So before we kind of like wrap this up, feeding, we've gone over, sleeping, we've gone over, colic, we've gone over. What is, if you're sitting down with a mother who's expecting a newborn, is there something on the checklist we haven't hit? Um, well, you know, I usually kind of throw this out at moms. When you go to do a baby registry, there is so much and you're going to have every person in your life that has had a baby recently tell you, you need this, you need that, you need this, you need that. Um, I think a great piece of advice is to take one of those friends, go to her house and let her literally take you through those items. And you say, do you use this a lot? I'm going to, I have a friend that's pregnant. I'm going to have her come over and be like, this is this and this. That is super, super reliable when it comes to checking out breast pumps and strollers, because those are two pricey items. And you want to get someone that's like, hey, can I like pretend I'm opening the stroller and putting it back in my car? Like how easy is it to play around with all of those things? If you don't have somebody that you can go to their house, read the reviews on those those big ticket items. Um, I tend to be a little bit more of a baby minimalist um, because when they become two and three, there will be toys galore in your house. So you don't need a ton of stuff when a baby comes. Um, the other thing, insurance companies are doing a really good job of providing breast pumps. I did mostly pumping and I loved the LV. So it was portable. So I didn't feel, cause like one of my biggest mental challenges pre- when I was a new, new mother was being attached to the wall pumping all the time. And the LV allowed me to feel a little bit more freedom to be able to do something or just like not sit next to a bug. Yeah. Um, when it comes to bottles, um, I'm kind of a stickler when it comes to bottles and swaddles. Um, you know, all of my night nurses, I train them on particular swaddles. I think that you can successfully uh, train a baby to sleep with swaddles that come from Target. Um, I love the swaddle me Velcro when the baby gets about four weeks old and they can just wiggle too much in that. We put a halo sleep sack swaddle on top. Those are my two favorite. Um, you can do an Ollie too. I really like the Ollies as well. Um, bottles. I'm going to always say as old school as you can get, the baby will do it, do with it better. Um, and, and it's kind of funny if you walk down the aisle, my least favorite is Dr. Brown's old school. Yes. Anything that's kind of like an old school shaped nipple. I do not really like wide mouth bottles. Um, the closest to a wide mouth bottle that I really do use is um, a lot of times when babies are, are breastfed and the mom just hasn't, hasn't introduced a bottle yet and the baby's struggling. Um, I have had a lot of success with a Lansino mama bottle. I do like that one. I just think when you're starting out is more traditional shaped nipple. Most babies, even breastfed babies will do better with those. Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I bought everything literally and I bought two of them. 
So I definitely, one, some of those things were really great. And then also there's a lot to be said about like baby tech and femtech and like the whole, you know, market. Also, there's a market to be made and it is a business and they also don't want things to last for 12 years, just like expired products. Like, so there, there's also a big market in it and they, they want to sell it. So um, this has been so productive. Thank you so much. I know this is going to be super helpful for new moms and new dads and all of all that comes along with it. So thanks so much for joining. And um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll have you back to talk about other because this is a longer conversation. Yes, yes. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Hannah. Per usual, the information shared on this podcast reflects my views or opinions or those of my guests and is presented as a general information only without guaranteeing its completeness. Nothing in this episode is intended to be or shall be construed as a statement of fact or any legal, medical, or other professional advice. Any reference to a specific product or entity is not an endorsement or recommendation unless expressly stated otherwise. 